Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, we really appreciate it when you tune into this podcast. Thank you for doing that. To get this conversation started, Tim wanted to ask the question, what have you said no to in your life? Every time a man says no to something in life that he might want, it's scary. And each time, as you'll hear in each of our lives where we've said no to something big or important, it was a scary decision. And yet what we testify to in this episode is how the Lord has been gracious to us as we have said no to things that cost us something. We hope the conversation is encouraging and helpful to you. Of course, I'm joined in this episode by Tim Bailey and Max Carell. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds Podcast. Good afternoon, gentlemen. It's good to see you. Tim, how Hello, are you? Hello, Lucas. I'm great. Good, Hi. good. Max, how are Hi. you doing? I'm well. Hello, You're Lucas. You're well? I'm well. Hello, <laughs> Lucas. Hi, Max. You know why I'm great? How are you? Why I'm are you great, great because all of nature is in a riot of spring. I mean, honestly, I drove home from the church picnic last Sunday night, mm-hmm. and I went the back way instead of up on Hart Street Road. So it's all these winding roads. Yep. And the entire way, I had my windows and my sunroof open, and it was one endless whiff of honeysuckle. Mm. It just didn't stop except for one dark valley where a huge turkey vulture took off from the road as I drove up. And when I got down in that little hollow, it was putrefaction. It was so stinking because there was a dead animal there. Ah. And so for about 250 yards, I had dead animal, but the whole rest of the time it was honeysuckle. And the roses are mind-boggling right now. Yeah, nice. I mean, thousands of them in our yard. Well, Sunday afternoon, I took my kids camping to Hoosier National Forest. Did you really? I did, and we we uh, had an absolute fantastic time. We went up on the fire tower. You ever been up there before? No, I haven't. It's uh-huh. amazing. You can see for miles, and it's just acres of forest everywhere. It's beautiful, but really had a good time. I think we I pushed my kids a little bit. We didn't die. We made it back. So, Lucas, today we've been talking about what to teach, mm-hmm. which is you know, some people call this talking heads and, you know, but really it's about teaching. Mm-hmm. And if our children and grandchildren were able to be here, they would sit here and listen carefully to what we said, because that's how kids learn. Mm-hmm. They listen to adults talking. And so you always want to be aware of how your common speech is edifying to your children in one way or another. So today I'd like us to talk about a concept The concept is, what have you said no to in life? Mm. And we talked about a little bit before we started recording, and I brought up a couple of things, and you guys brought up some things. And immediately, both of you wanted to say that you weren't saying no to things, you were saying yes to things. Mm -hmm. And so we could be typical evangelicals and say, let's talk today about what we've said yes to. (laughs) But the power often in a discussion is the negative. And so I'd like you men to talk about things you've said no to. Mm -hmm. So can either of you think of things you've said no to? Well, I'll go ahead and start. Before I moved to Bloomington, I was in Washington, D.C. I loved being in Washington, D.C., and I had a couple different tracks ahead of me. Uh, I was at George Washington University, and I was trying to get a double major in computer science and political science, international studies. And of course, if you want to do international studies, anything, I mean, Washington, D.C. is the perfect place to do it. So leaving that place was me saying no to a lot of things, but high on the list was that. Specifically, Washington, D.C., thinking about that and you know, I, I grew up overseas, and so I was. I grew up in West and Central Africa. I'd always been around a very international group of people. And always, they were the kids of diplomats, uh, government officials. CIA. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> probably. And so all kinds of things like that. Very, just very internationally minded. And then I moved to Bloomington, Indiana, you know, the, one of the flyover states. And so... 
and my life has not been international ever since then. It just hasn't. Um, so you might say that that's a silly thing or what big, you know, what's the loss there? Maybe it doesn't feel like a loss to somebody who's never felt like that was kind of your destiny, but it, it felt like a loss to me. The other thing that I distinctly remember closing the door to computer science, and I, I guess there's not a one moment in time when that happened, but it was clear to me from time I was in college that working in computer science could be very lucrative. And I remember thinking, if I would like to be a pastor, then I have to walk away from being good at that. If you're going to be good at something, you got to really give yourself to it. And when I started at Indiana University, I took computer science and pre-med stuff. And I decided, even though I absolutely loved the computer science class I took, the intro to comp sci at IU, I thought was just fun. But I didn't take any other computer science at Indiana University after that. It was all biology, physics, and chemistry, and that sort of thing. But then, a couple of years later, I really did fall in love with the church. And with that came a distinct decision not to continue with all my pre-med stuff. I had just finished Organic Chemistry 1. I was had just started Organic Chemistry 2. But I, I dropped out of that class um, and switched my major so that I could basically get out of Indiana University as quickly as possible and go to the pastor's college. I was always the kind of guy who was kind of nerdy, but also wanted to help people. And the doctor thing seemed like a good idea. So leaving that behind and, and becoming a pastor was saying no to something for sure. Let's go back to when you left GWU. Do you remember what you said to me? Yeah, I remember calling you. There was at the end of my, well, I guess it would have been the beginning of my junior year. I called you a bunch because... Well, let's go to the end. Do you remember what you said at the end? I, that I needed to get the hell out of there. That's right. Yeah. And so I want you to open that up because that was the Kairos. That was the hour of decision. You mm -hmm. said to me, Mr. Bailey, I'm going to get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. And you never <laughs> I use I don't use that kind of you language. You don't ever yeah. use that kind of language. So why did you say that? Because you you presented as if you know. Well, I moved to the Midwest, the flyover states, and I left that behind. Mm -hmm. But why? Well, so first couple of years of college were very difficult for me. They were difficult because I didn't get plugged in to a church very well. It was very troubled waters just the whole time. I was just in up and down all over the place. And I remember after that, my sophomore year at GW, I went to, uh, I was a camp counselor and was at a Christian camp. And it was just a really sweet time. You know, you talk about the time that you went out on the farm and it was just sweet for you. That was just really sweet for me. It was like, I was just away from the city and all those pressures and difficulties and, and people tugging me away and away uh, in directions away from my faith. And up at that, uh, literally on the top of a hill in Colorado, I was surrounded by Christians who wanted to be Christians, you know, were encouraging me in my faith and so forth. So it was really helpful. And then I went back to GW and was starting my junior year. I like, I got there and one of my friends, uh, attempted to commit suicide like that first week. And, you know, I started learning about stuff that had gone on earlier that summer. And it was just like, I got to get out of here. I just got to get out of here. So what I want you to do then is now deconstruct, I'm going to get the hell out of here, very much out of character. Why did you use the word hell? It was because it was very guttural. It was like, because I had, maybe it was even stealing myself to make the decision. I knew, I absolutely did know. And this is one of those places where I, I do believe God gave me clarity that it was a matter of my soul. Yeah, see, I, I remember that I so clearly. That. And I, I never, never encourage you to come to Bloomington. You should say yeah, that. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And so it was not a shock. Yeah, I remember you giving me some other options, um, you know, suggestions and so forth. I was constantly trying to come up with the church and Christians who would help yeah. you because you were drowning. You were treading water, but you were drowning. You were despairing. Mm -hmm. Now, one other thing, organic. Did you get a D? I got an, an A in organic chemistry, yes. Okay. <laughs> I want you to say that because some people might think that 
you're a bear of little brain. <laughs> you know? It was only organic chemistry one, Tim. Only. <laughs> only. And this is, a, this is a man who still sees cross-eyed about high school <laughs> chemistry. Yeah. All right. That's a good one. That's a good one. Now let's go to Max. At a certain point, as I was out planting churches, as I was planting a church in Toledo, Ohio, I became convinced of reform doctrine. Really, that wasn't what was first Mm. making me say no to the organization that I was planting the church through. What made me say no first was my commitment to the scripture. Hmm. And so when they would present me with some things I had that I that they expected that I would do, I had pause and then sometimes I would say no, but finally after some time the man who was immediately my handler mm-hmm. uh, from Columbus, Ohio, he asked me, he said, "Well, you know, it's looks like you need to fish or cut bait." And I said, "I'm going to cut bait." And so I said no to that organization. Well, come on, and then, tell them who it is and why. Well, you want specificity? Yes, absolutely. It was I organic don't. chemistry. It was, <laughs> it was Mr. Green if with I, the knife if I, in the office. If I had taken organic <laughs> chemistry, oh, the A I would have gotten. Well, two of the most influential people in my life that I've been closest to are Wayne Grudem and David Carell. Uh, and both of them were very, very much uh, John Wimberite. So open that up. Well, I had been ordained in the vineyard churches, and when they would uh, process through their emphases through the years, they kept pushing and having things go through that were happening in a completely undisciplined way. The organization didn't have any theological mooring there wasn't any confession of faith there wasn't other than everyone putting the apostles creed on their website there wasn't any theological statements really at all Hmm. and and so no discipline there was no discipline in the churches there was no discipline in the organization there was no discipline in, in with the pastors and so the things that they would go through well they were very they were always like so many movements of of t- over time, they were always saying that they were returning to something primitive, something of the primitive church. You know, it's like Acts twenty nine. The organization Reclaiming. is we're gonna we're gonna reclaim what's been mm-hmm. lost, or we're gonna carry on from the early days and get back to something. And so they, you know, and then they would excuse the excesses by just talking about, well, you know, you can't uh, make an omelet without breaking a few eggs, but that's never what they would say. Right. Mm-hmm. And so God doesn't tell us to excuse the excesses or just ignore them. And so when I saw the excesses, I wouldn't excuse them. And I didn't have a lot of bravery at the time, but I did say no. Mm-hmm. And eventually I said no to the whole venture. And well, I remember you describing the annual emphases. Can you go into that? Well, bit? they would have something that they they would bring through something exciting and new maybe every couple of years it seemed like there was something exciting and new and usually it was prefaced with the word power and i'm not sure wayne grudem didn't term didn't coin that phrase actually uh power stuff but it may have been somebody else in the that was connected to the organization but they would come through with some new emphasis that was something powerful power evangelism power healing they did they went through a time with having the the prophet ministers come through and this was just normal i was at a pastor's meeting at one point in i think it was in columbus ohio john wimber was there and all these pastors from churches and church plants were sitting around in the room and somebody said and i was already feeling these very uncomfortable feelings at that point and somebody in the room said, you know, well, what's next? What's the next thing? And I thought, oh, my. It really is so bad that there is mm-hmm. that, that our palates are. We have palates adjusted for an appetite for the next thing that's going to come down that will be exciting. And I just saw, I just saw so much missing. 
so much wrong with what was happening. And I knew that I couldn't continue to be a part of it. And so that's when I decided I was just going to get out. I didn't know everywhere I was going to go. I ended up, I ended up taking my church out. We tried to be reformed. We tried, you know, I, I, I uh, spiral bound some three forms of unity bindings. I don't know if I've ever even, t- I've got, mm-hmm. I still have one in my office of the old ones mm-hmm. that I bound up. And I was teaching, you know, the Heidelberg and I was going through those things. Mm-hmm. And, but I was just, it was like trailing off to nothing. The church that I had was just trailing off to nothing. And eventually it did. Uh, one of my f- dear friends came to me and said, you know, uh, Max, I think it's time we just, you know, this is, don't you think it's time we just close the door? It was just a small little group at that point. And I was needing somebody to help me do that. And mm. so, yeah, we closed the door. So eventually other things happened, but I'd like to skip to you going to Christ the Word and how you ended up coming here. Because that was saying no to some things. Well, yeah, we attended in an interim time for two years I took my family to a Southern Baptist church across from the border from Toledo, Ohio is Michigan. And it's right on the Toledo's right on the border. So we went to a Southern Baptist church just across the border and they were just very dispensational, you know, typical kind of dispensational Southern Baptist church, very sweet people, very nice. The pastor was sweet. Hmm. We were friends. We had, you know, we were interacting with the church, but I found myself every Sunday coming back from church on the way home in the car, trying to explain to my high school aged son that, you know, well, this wasn't really quite, you know, this isn't really quite, well, why is this? Did he say this dad? And I said, well, this wasn't really quite. And I realized the horrible injustice I was doing to the man. Mm. and to my son and at that time right about that time i found out that uh tim's brother david was starting a pca church in toledo that was going to be gathering people from uh i think there were like some group some of groups from three different places that Mm. came together and uh, formed that first uh, PCA church there. Mm-hmm. We started attending there, and we uh, that was about Christmas time. Yeah, in in two thousand and two, they're meeting in a Seventh Day Adventist church. And one day, David came to me and he said, "Well, are you still interested in the pastorate?" I hadn't had anyone ask me that question, and I was at that moment. Uh, I had just given up my route. I had a route with Frito-Lay, mm-hmm. a very lucrative route, and I'd just given that up to enter the management training program. I had been accepted in the management training program, so I was now like just, I had just bought my management training uh, shoes, mm-hmm. you know, my some really nice shoes that you should wear <laughs> if you're a manager, right? Mm-hmm. And so just at that moment, David asked me that question. And I thought and talked to my wife. Well, he, I think he said at that time, my brother, I think, is looking for somebody. And I think you would be a good candidate for who he's looking for down in Bloomington. So I went and talked to Annie about it. And we, we discussed it. And I think, I don't know how long before I spoke to him again and said, and said well, yeah, I think I would like to be a pastor. I hadn't been working in the church for two years. And so he put me in touch with Tim, and we started interviewing. Actually, he called me. I remember the call very clearly. He said, Tim, Tim. He said, I know who you should hire. (laughs) His name's David Carell, and he's great. He's absolutely, and you should meet his son. And he was going on and on about what a great guy David Carell was, and I trust my brother, and at that point, time i decided that dave Carell would probably be the guy we'd hire so i said no to frito-lay but well did you (laughs) i mean did you feel that like you you say that sounds pretty cheap what say sounds pretty cheap just that you would say no to frito-lay i mean well you know this conversation as we were thinking about and we just decided to talk about what we said no to Mm. minutes before we started recording 
Mm-hmm. And what I've been thinking about for myself is that my life saying no usually is connected in some way to knowing what will not be good for me or knowing what my flesh would want to, to grasp onto as low hanging fruit. Mm. So Lucas, you said, I said no, because I knew my soul was at stake. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so much of the things as I, as I've thought through my life, just in the minutes you were talking, Lucas, I thought through my life about so many of the things that I've said no to, and they really are connected to me seeing low hanging fruit that I knew that that path and I'm not saying I never pick low-hanging fruit. I do way too much. And I think if we all talked about it, we might actually say together in unison, yeah, low-hanging fruit is deceptive, yeah. right? Yeah. And it doesn't usually take you in a good direction. Mm-hmm. You guys, I was thinking about this when I was a kid. We would go pick cherries at the <laughs> orchard. Yeah. And you could, as a kid, you could pick cherries easily. And they let you eat them while you picked them, you know, hmm. pesticide and all. And so you just <laughs> you just pick cherries, but you pick them in clumps that were really low. But if you wanted to pick and get good cherries, you had to climb these ladders. Hmm. And they were tall ladders. They were big ladders. And for a, a young person, a child, that they were imposing. Yeah. But so much of our lives are we are we are enticed just by everything that's hanging low yep. and easy to grasp. And what we don't what we by the grace of God often do realize is that those are the very things that will take us away. The easy things that entice us that will take us away this way and that. And Frito Lay was enticing. But I but I had a desire to work for God in the church mm-hmm. that it was still there. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it maybe even surprised me at the time. Well, and you had a nice little farm at, you earned over $20,000 more a year than what we offered. You moved your family, including a son who was in high school. So let's not depreciate the value of the things you said no to. There were many comforts, many conveniences. It's like Lucas says, well, you know, I had gone through organic one. Well, look, if you've gone through organic one, you've passed the threshold that normally weeds the idiots out from those that are possible. And so, you know, looking back on it, we'll look at those things and say, well, I wouldn't have been a good doctor. or well, I wouldn't have been content being in management free to lay and stuff. But let's remember that an awful lot of people listening to us decided to stay at Frito Way and became doctors. And some should, of them should have. And, but. <laughs> and I was about to say, and some of them shouldn't have. Yeah, some of them shouldn't have. Mm. And again, when you said some of them should have, you didn't say anything. But when I said some of them shouldn't have, I said something. <laughs> Do you understand? Mm-hmm. And I'm not bragging at all. I'm just saying that we have to look at our lives and realize that we do make bad decisions and that God disciplines us through those decisions. And that once those decisions are made, they're sunk costs and it doesn't require us to continue down the path of the bad decision. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Listening to you, all of a sudden I thought of two things that I said no to, but it wasn't me saying no to it, it was my father's. One time I wrote an article talking about the danger of of emotional adultery because i had run into this with a number of people that i had counseled and mm-hmm. and people who were like the father of a good friend of mine where men out of compassion for single women or uh divorce women or something they start talking and they'd end up changing their storm windows and they were married with children but they would be helpful to a woman Mm-hmm. And of course, we all know where that ends, but people just think, well, it's lust. Well, actually, as I say, I think many more adulteries in the church start from compassion than from lust. I'm sorry, but I will say that again. So anyhow, I'd written an article about it for a magazine, and when they got the article, uh, the editor called me and said that she wasn't going to publish the article, that the article was cowardice. because the article ended up saying, be very careful about spending time alone with a woman other than your wife. Ah, yes. And so she was out there in LA and, you know, the evangelicals there and, and in publishing, 
you know, which tends to be, uh, you know, sort of an aspirational place to be. So anyhow, she told me she wasn't going to publish it. Well, they had a contract to publish the articles every month that were written by the next member of the Bailey family. And it wasn't in any way because it wasn't written fine. It was, she said, it's cowardice. And you should not promote the idea that women and men can't be friends together who aren't married. Yeah, yep. So I talked to her, tried to explain it to her, told her about a couple of uh, instances that I had been involved in recently that had caused me to have this concern. And uh, eventually ended up deciding, I said, look, let me, let me call and talk to a couple of men that are older that I respect and ask them what they think. And she said, okay, I'll talk to my husband. He just came in. So we hung up. I called and talked to my father-in-law and my dad, mm-hmm. both of them independently. Yeah. And I said to them, what do you think? Am I off base on this? And my father said, you know, Tim, he said, when I was staff for InterVarsity, and my mother were the first staff workers for IV in New England. They lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He said, one night I was on my way to Vassar, and we had started a Bible study there. And at that time, it was a girls' college, women's Mm. college. And he said, as I was driving to Vassar, he said, all of a sudden, I realized that there was a woman in the small group I was going to that I was anticipating seeing. Mm. And he said, do you know what I did, Tim? I said, now what? He said, I turned the car around, went home. I never went back to that Bible study. Hmm. And oh, my goodness, it was such an encouragement to me. Uh, Obviously, an encouragement that my father and mother were still married. Yeah. And that he had made a decision for my mother, which, Mm -hmm. of course, was make a decision for me. Mm -hmm. But also that he would just immediately bring that up with me and tell me the story. Well, then I called my father-in-law, and uh, at that time, he was director of Moody Moody Press, took the train in every day from Wheaton to Chicago and back home again, and uh, he's, (laughs) this is very interesting, because they hadn't heard each other, but he said that one night, he was working late in his office, and his secretary stayed behind to help him, Mm. and he said, at one point, she came in to his office to give him a paper or something. I don't know what it was. And he said, she sat down on the edge of my desk. And I said to her, please leave my office. And he said the next day she was transferred to another job. Hmm. And I was just so moved that God had given me a father and a father-in-law who were not victorious Christian life Christians, Mm -hmm. but who were scared out of their wits Mm -hmm. at adultery Mm -hmm. and would not go near it. And so that was my answer. I thought, well, I think I'm on the right track with this article. Mm -hmm. So I called the lady back up and I said, ma'am, I called two men. I, of course, I couldn't at that time tell those stories. I couldn't tell yeah, her who my, right. my father-in-law was. She probably didn't know. She knew who my dad was. <clears throat> so I just said, uh, I, I'm convinced that this is the right counsel that mm-hmm. it, in this article. And she laughed and she said, yeah, I'm going to run it. I said, really, why? And she said, while you were you and I were talking, she said, my husband got home and he's getting his master's in marriage and family counseling at Fuller <laughs> Seminary. That's funny. And she said, when we got off the phone, I asked him what he thought. And he said, what I think is that you don't know anything about men. <laughs> so she and I had a good laugh and that went into print. So those are my first two saying no to things. I don't think we realize how common it is that Satan puts in front of us blandishments that seemingly are innocent. And I'm sure there are people listening right now that just think it's male chauvinism if a woman sits on the edge of your desk that you ask her to leave your office. Yeah. But that's because nobody, everybody's completely foolish about sex today. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not talking about jobs or organic or computer science or anything like that, GWU. I'm talking about saying no to women. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's another aspect of saying no. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of another thing that young men are enticed to, and that is 
getting something quick and easy. Mm-hmm. And oh, so, yeah. and so they, they're looking for the thing that will get them rich or, you know, get them whatever their goal is fast. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very enticing to them. And, uh, I don't think it's just young men. I think, I think we, we're all susceptible. That's such an important thing. And it's so important that people not gamble. Mm-hmm. Gambling is so depressing. You go into these corner stores mm-hmm. and you just see everybody buying lottery tickets. It's insane. Well, and that's what stocks and Bitcoin, all kinds of stuff like that ends up. Being yeah, it ends up the stock market. Yeah, yeah. Playing the stock market is, you know, maybe the the sophisticated man's, you know, lottery ticket. But we we have to be careful that we do not put hope in something that God has not. And God has blessed work. Mm. And over my lifetime, there is a phrase that came from Gene Peterson, an author, that I, and I don't know if he says this in the same way I say it now, but I tell young men especially constantly, what we need is a long, slow obedience in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Because actually, the turtle does beat the hare. <laughs> and you just see this in life the men that are bright, the men that are gifted, the men that are charismatic. I mean, they just never do anything with their lives, although they're always on the cusp of doing something great. I think it is connected to what you were just saying. And I had the idea pop into my mind just now saying no to your strengths to the things that you're good at. I think of work, for instance, for a man. Let's say he gets does settle into a career that's lucrative, that's good for him. He could just pour himself into that to the detriment of things that he's not good at. So for men, pouring themselves into what they're good at and being unwilling to do things that they're terrible at is a very strong temptation because the justifications are just all right there especially if it's something, you know, you're putting food on the table, you're providing, you know, you're tithing well at your church, you're like, you're doing all the things, but like... You're going you're, to seed. You're going to seed, your wife is adrift and is has no connection to you aside from the fact that you have children together and you mm-hmm. live in the same house. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we're called to. A man is commanded to do those things to provide for his family, but he's also commanded to love his wife to, to live with her in an understanding way. He's called to love his children, to not exasperate his children. I mean, he's, there's one of the things that I've learned, grown and learning as, an, as I've, <laughs> I'm now 40 years old, so I guess I can't say as I've become an adult, <laughs> is that so much of life is being pulled in a million different directions at the same time, more than you can even think, you even wrap your head around. Again, you can focus on one area really, really well and avoid the things that you're, that scare you, that you're bad at, and that's just not going to go well. David? You know, Tim brought up the lottery earlier, and it does relate to what you're saying, Lucas. Pulling a weed is something anybody can do, but it, it, it's not easy necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not the easy thing to do. And you say pulling a weed is easy. And I say, mm-hmm. well, it is, unless you actually stop and pull the weed. And then you've got dirt on your hands and, you know, maybe you pull several weeds. But what we'd rather do is, and then going back to the lottery, what we'd rather do is win the lottery and hire a gardener. That's mm-hmm. what we'll do. Yeah. And that's what people think is going to happen. I remember working at Frito Lay and I remember going into the ghettos of Toledo. And they were very oppressed, extremely oppressed, huge rat traps under the Frito-Lay display case, right? <laughs> Scary looking rat traps. <laughs> I was thinking, I don't even want to meet the rat that was <laughs> that, that trap was designed for, right? <laughs> and so you, you're, you're in those situations and you see everywhere billboards for lottery tickets uh, yeah. and the, and our benevolent government is mm-hmm. pouring their money into advertising mm-hmm. in this depressed, horrible ghetto mm. to get these people to spend every mo- bit of money they have extra 
in the hope and anticipation that they'll get out. And I remember thinking, oh, all they would have to do that would be equivalent to pulling a weed is to take the money that they spent on the lottery. Each, each block, take the money that they spent on the lottery. If they could just pool it together. Every year they could do some huge improvement on mm. their block. Eventually, maybe very early, they could hire a private policeman who did nothing mm-hmm. but patrol that one block, <laughs> right? Because Pay they were just throwing the money away. They could paint mm. all of their houses. Mm. But it would be like pulling the weeds. You'd have to actually consider it and get into it and do it. Well, I think the theme here is that we have to know our weaknesses. I put up a a tweet today of Calvin's first sentence of the Institutes. Calvin says, quote, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Hmm. And I think what we have been talking about is things we've said no to, things my father and father-in-law said no to because they knew themselves. I don't think it's hard to know our strengths. Mm. I think it's very hard to know our sins and weaknesses and character defects and wickedness, especially today when it's not valued in preaching, in the church, anywhere. It's not valued. It's not something that people want to know. And so when we talk about things you've said no to in life, inevitably they end up being things that are temptations to us, Hmm. that we realize early on how tempting they are and we flee from them. I think that's what was going on when you said, I want to get the hell out of here. I think you were very much, my perception from all those conversations we had was that you were hanging by a thread to your faith. That was my perception. Yeah, I think that's true. And... So when you say, I'm going to get the hell out of here, what I heard you saying is, I'm going to save, I'm going to be Christian, I'm going to cover my ears, and I'm going to run. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was such an encouraging, joyful time to me, not because you were coming to Bloomington, but because I was so burdened by, because I loved you, I was so burdened by how vulnerable you were. I kept wanting to f- fly out or drive out and help, but I couldn't. Now... I want to bring up a couple of other things that I think play into this. One of them is you will have job opportunities if you do your work well that you should say no to. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a friend who has an extremely high position in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And that man had some of the greatest gifts for ministry I have ever seen. Hmm. And I don't know what to say. It's real weird because I've had a few men in my lifetime that I have, if I'm telling you the truth, I'll say that I have been angry with God about them not going into ministry. And the reason is I have felt that they're so superior to me in key areas of Mm -hmm. my sin. It just hasn't made any sense to me that I am at a church as a pastor and that they're not shepherding God's mm. flocks because I just see their gifts being so superior to mine. Mm. So much better self-control, so much better f- facility with the language, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So much uh, more natural disposition to be studious, so much better at ex- expressing things and it not going off on tangent. I could keep going. Yeah, right. And I don't know, you know, my inclination is to say that they (laughs) should have been pastors. Yeah. But I do remember one of the men that I felt this way about out of seminary was not a man who was as expressive or charismatic as I was, but very godly. Mm. A prayer warrior, so many things that I envied. I love him. Right. Actually, he's going to be here this coming weekend, Paul Cote. And, but Paul is a little bit reserved. So he and I had just completed seminary at the same time. And I remember being angry that he, he did not have the ability of going to a church, that he did not receive a call. Hmm. And I remember talking to my father-in-law about that and, and Dad Taylor saying to me, well, he had a speech impediment. Well, I think 
I think you should just say it. No, no. <laughs> I think it's good he wasn't called as a pastor. That's how my father-in-law would talk his okay. whole life. But being interpreted. I think it was good that he wasn't called as a pastor. Mm. And he said to me, you should trust God in that. Mm. Very good rebuke. Very good rebuke. And it healed my heart because I could trust God in that. What I didn't trust were search committees. Yeah. You know, I just thought, and I remember saying this today. I just said, oh, search committees are so predictable. They look at the guy that's flashy, Mm -hmm. you know, that has a big mouth. And they think that's what they need is a flashy big mouth to be a pastor. But a guy that isn't promoting himself, they won't even think about him. I was so angry about that with Paul. Mm. and dad's like well i think that it's probably best that he's not a pastor you know it's like okay if dad says that to me i'm okay with that and so i think often these things with men revolve around our jobs where we work where we live what kind of job we have and whether that job just simply depends upon our natural strengths or requires us to grow i, I loved being a student other people maybe you didn't like being a student oh, so no much. no no i loved it oh did you okay oh, absolutely <laughs> okay after i got out of elgin high school <laughs> okay maybe I mean, that's a different that thing was awful. <laughs> <laughs> well i loved being a student i think i enjoyed it I mean, just about all my whole career as a a student. I mean, I loved reading papers and writing papers and reading books. And I I loved going to the library and research. Research is something that's just really fun. And I just, I distinctly remember sitting in a class once and saying something, because I was a little older than, by the time I was graduating from Indiana University, I was a little older than everybody. Because you lost credits at GW. Yeah, yeah. I, so I had self-confidence and I found everything interesting. And so I just would talk. And there was a discussion we were having that got a little uh, tense because it was clear that the, myself and the, inter, the other person I was talking to were very much on the other end of the opposite ends of the spectrum politically on this issue. And so my answer, something I said was just very diplomatic and very careful. And afterwards... A student, one of the classmates walking out of the class, just very offhandedly, I don't think I'd even really talked to him. He just very casually remarked and said something like, you know, have you ever thought about being a, a professor? Because you really sound like a professor. <laughs> and he had no idea what kind of a rebuke that was to me. I mean, that was, I've remembered ever since because I just thought, wow, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I knew I was weak. You know, this, I think, is what we are talking about. Um, I know I'm weak in, in wanting to face conflict, but I knew I didn't want to do that. And so that's something in life I, I've tried to stay away from. You know, I just read in my Bible reading where it says that the thing that they noticed at the end of the Sermon on the Mount was the authority. Hmm. That Jesus taught yep. with authority yep. and not yep. as their scribes and rabbis and pharisees and so the reason that was a rebuke to you was that you felt that you had not held firm to god's i hadn't just been clear you know Mm -hmm. you said it was political but undoubtedly it was also spiritual yeah there was truth is disciplinary Mm -hmm. it is always isn't it yeah. Doesn't truth, oh, doesn't truth always parse everything? Well, and in the academy, you're always trying to relativize it. You're mm-hmm. always trying to mm-hmm. show that you are judicious in your application of authority to any particular position, that you can see the opposite, that you want to be collegial, all this other stuff. Well, can I bring up another one that has, as I've gotten older, been very, very important to me and has been an increasing source of gratitude in my life. And that is that I did not follow all the enticements to leave this church in Bloomington. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how to put it. I don't know that anybody can understand the joy and the blessing. We use those words so cheaply. I don't. Of being able to leave the ministry at this church. And... 
There are many ways I could describe it. I'm not going to. I will say this. I have never felt pressure to scratch ears in this church. And I've always known that if I did it, I would be disciplined by the elders and by the congregation, by the women. As a matter of fact, the ones that would be quickest to discipline me are the women of this church because they have acute mm. sensitivity. Yep, they sure do. Many of them have suffered at the hands of wicked people. And if I started flattering them and and telling them that Jesus is just gentle and lowly. You know, we're talking, sitting around talking about saying no. We should get, you know, the women in this church to talk about what they've said no to. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And there are many other blessings at this church that I get to work with you and Lucas and Jody and I mean, all the men that we've worked with. It's just unbelievable how well we've gotten along. You know, we've never had anybody leave our staff angry. <laughs> I mean, how many churches can say that, that, that our church is so loving? And it's not that we're avoiding places of conflict. It's almost as if because we have stood firm on God's word in a university community, God has blessed us with peace in the church. Hmm. I really believe that that is a principle. I think in life, you will have many enemies. You will suffer much. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the life of faith is choosing to suffer where it glorifies God. And then God protects us from suffering where it's very personal. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we have people that hate us here who were disciplined by the elders. Yeah. And they've created problems for us. But if you had to choose those problems and the problems of the university and the problems of Amazon censoring our book and stuff like that, we'd choose that 100 times out of 100 times and have to deal with the apostasy of our children as they grow up, mm -hmm. to have to deal with a division in our elders board, right? Now, remember what I'm doing here. What I'm doing here is just giving a peek a tiny little peek into the sweetness of the life of this this fellowship, mm -hmm. this, this church. And I'm doing that to say that over the course of the last 25, 30 years, I have had a succession of bigwigs um, suggesting and asking and inviting me to do things. And I'm not going to go through the list, but trust me, these positions working with these people would have been a coup, even for Joe Bailey's son. You know, some of them I think came because of who, who my, you know, who my family mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. People don't know that now, but you know, this was years ago. But I can remember, you know, very large wealthy churches. <laughs> sometimes extremely large and wealthy churches, mm -hmm. churches that are the center of the reformed community in a particular city. Uh, Jim Boyce, when he was here speaking. And I remember Jim, we had breakfast together. I remember him turning to me. He knew my dad. We, I'd lived in Philly. We were both PCA. He looks at me and he says, you know, Tim, I need an associate. He said, how about if you come and work for me? I looked at him and I said, no, I, no, I cannot do that. And why? I think, number one, even though there were only two churches I ever wanted to work at in this country. Did you know that? Have I ever told you that? Yeah, there are only two churches that I've ever wanted to work at. Both of them were churches that my father spent years as a mm -hmm. member of those churches. One was 10th Pres in Philly, mm -hmm. and the other was Park Street in Boston. Hmm. And Kent Hughes was within moments of becoming the senior pastor at Park Street said I was going to be his executive pastor at Park Street. Hmm. And it was women's ordination that caused him to say no. So that's another example of a man that said no. Mm -hmm. He was in clearly. But at the end, he realized that there were people in that church that were going to push to have women elders hmm. and pastors, and he would not tolerate it. And so he ended up not going. And with that, I didn't say no there. Kent said no, but I'm so glad he did, you know. Mm. But anyhow, I know that we tend to be dismissive of things we've said no to. Because a lot of times we're not conscious we're saying no to them. 
Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think that, I think though that in the case of uh, Boyce and Tenth, and then I could name another number of others that I won't. Part of it was my love for this flock. It mm. was small, and I was their shepherd. And that I remember thinking very clearly. That's what mm. I said that to Jim. I said no, and it was because I was not in a position to leave this congregation. Mm. But in many of the other cases, I think the reason that God leads us to say no is because we don't trust ourselves with success. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any of us realize how dangerous wealth and success are. And sometimes it's appropriate for us to say no to jobs, which would mean a promotion, which would mean moving to a much more sophisticated place to have a more sophisticated title, you know, to run with the wolves. I think many of us know we're not capable of doing that. I remember when Mary Lee and I left our prior church here in town, Mary Lee said to me one day, you know, I'm so glad that we had to leave ECC. And I said, why? And she said, I think she said, she said, your pride would have been unbearable. (laughs) Something like that. That we would have gotten proud, but probably Mm -hmm. I would have gotten proud. And so I want to note that oftentimes we're going to have opportunities to do things like Balaam, Mm. you know, to go bless the enemies of God. And all the wealth of the world will be given to us. And it won't be that stark with us, you know. We won't mm. be told no by a, by an, by a donkey, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But we have to be very, very careful to not say yes to things that are going to require character from us that we don't have. And, you know, we can say, oh, but I, I live by faith and I'm sure that whatever temptations would come my way in that job, that God would be sufficient and I'm kind of mocking it because do we ever realize that when we say things like that, we're not really trusting in God. We're just justifying a decision that we know we shouldn't make. When I got done with seminary, I applied only to two kinds of churches, and that was churches in the inner city of Chicago and churches in rural poor the areas. Hinterlands, yeah. Yeah. And I could have, I had been, you know, on the staff at First President Boulder, Colorado. You know, you could have. Couldn't, couldn't you just explain that? Couldn't someone just explain that as your insecurities? Well, isn't it good for a man to be insecure where he has sin? Isn't it good for a man to be fearful of the places where he knows that his heart is evil? Mm. Aren't there some men that should sell everything they have and give it to the poor? <laughs> I mean, isn't that what that woman was saying and saying she wasn't going to publish the article because it was just cowardice, faithless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what, my dad's a coward and faithless because he turned around and went back home instead of going to the Bible study at Vassar? Then are there, is anyone sufficient for those things? I mean, well, let's go through all the famous Christian celebrities right now and, and take account, <laughs> including the ones that have made shipwreck. I mean, honestly, yeah. you look at the last 20 years, how many of them should have said yes? I can name one, John Piper. But I'd say John Piper is the exception that proves the rule. Hmm. And it's not because he didn't say no to things. <clears throat> no, he said no to me many yeah. times. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your point? He's an example of he's an example. somebody who's somebody who has opportunity. No, what I meant to say is he's a man that God has blessed like Abraham, and it has not gone to his head, mm. and he has not been corrupted, and he has given away his money, and he has. He, you can just find but, it by googling. But that's it. not because he was tempted. That's not because he was vulnerable. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You don't think John Piper is vulnerable to greed? Uh, are you not listening? I, I'm just playing you right here, Tim. Come yeah. On. Well, play well, of course me he is. So I know <laughs> well, what you're doing. I'm, pl- I'm being the being I'm being sarcastic. the devil's advocate. Yes. I'm being sarcastic. Yeah. That's why John. Well, of course, John Piper would wouldn't be 
he would have said no, and but he's not. He is not motivated by his fear of his own sin. And I'm being sarcastic. Don't you think John Piper is motivated by the fear of his own sin? Don't you think that everybody who has a small church and is in the hinterland is looked at by Christians as being a failure? Yes. Today, yeah. But do you think their failures aren't many of the people that we have the most respect for, people who have been quietly, humbly obedient over their lifetime? Mm. Yes. Doing their work. But haven't they had to say no to a lot of things? This is difficult because I and this this whole line of reasoning, I I don't know. I feel unsure about whether we should keep it in but the reason i go down it is because of the very tension you're trying to put your finger on i think when we start talking about famous people it's easy i think for naysayers to just say oh well you're just you're saying you've said no to doing this and that famous thing so are you saying that it's impossible for anybody to be rich and famous okay let me be very direct and say that because I grew up in Wheaton and knew a lot of the people that were famous, mm-hmm. I had a lot of opportunities. And I'm absolutely certain that I spent a lot of time saying no to things in my life where people said, would you come do this? Would you mm-hmm. do this? Would you do this? That a huge reason that I did that was because I knew that I would not be faithful in that position that I would feel the pressure to compromise for the sake of not making an ass of myself in front of thousands. Mm-hmm. And that I would not be a faithful preacher at a rich, wealthy church, large church, that I would not continue to be committed to church discipline if I was working with a parachurch organization, that I would not continue to be faithful to care for God's sheep if I was a full-time executive director of this parachurch organization that if I went and hung out with the editorial people at a certain place in a, you know, in a certain place. But most people don't, most pastors, let's say, don't have those. But, but okay, but hold on. Yeah. Does anybody anywhere right now with you at 40 Mm -hmm. have any awareness of who you could have been? No, only your mama. Yeah, people close to me, uh, people who know. Yeah, but even people that cl- close to you at the church, they don't know that background. And how many people who are pastors in the hinterlands mm-hmm. have had precisely the same decisions you've had? What about my son, Joseph? Nobody knows what Joseph has said no to in his mm-hmm. life. I do. Some of it. Well, I know. But, but I'm his brother-in-law. Yeah. And I've been his good friend ever since fifth grade, so. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody knows what David has said no to. Yep. Max. And so I'm not ready to pass this off as how, well, I've had opportunities that other men haven't had. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. My opportunities maybe were more enticing to me, or I came closer to to them i don't know but man i don't regret anything Mm. that i've said no to not anything and what i've seen over the course of a lifetime is the things you say no to god then pours blessings you know that's why maybe my one of my two or three all-time favorite verses of any hymn is "O cross that seeketh me through plain pain i dare not ask to fly from thee to run from thee Mm -hmm. uh a cross that lifteth up my head. I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust, life's glory dead, dead. and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that an awful lot of those crosses are saying no mm. to things that our flesh desires. Oh, I would have given anything to work with Jim Boyce mm. and to be back in Philly. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I would have given anything to be at Park Street, but God helped me to say no. Mm-hmm. You know, and out of that has come the sweetness of our work here and of the church and of the pastor's college and evangel. 
And I look at my friends who said yes to everything and climbed and climbed. One guy named M. Craig Barnes, who's now president of Princeton. And I can just see the wreckage strewn mm. behind him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if he was listening, he, he'd have a fit that I said that. But, I mean, honestly, you can look at people and you can see the cost of what they have said yes to and they're climbing. Mm -hmm. And I just think that climbing is never good. One of the things that is weighing on me is the lust for success and status yeah. among Christians and churches, and especially among pastors. That is very intense. I'm trying to get at that in the things I've said. And as I have gotten older and I talked about my love for this church and what a joy it is to serve in this church, it is a very heavy burden to me how few men are raising their wife or their children in a church that is going to feed and grow them. Mm. And how many men think that it doesn't really matter what job they take, where they move, what church they go to, because after all, their children have such an excellent father mm. or mother. And that's just bunk. Uh, what I've seen over a lifetime is that we are what we eat. We are what we eat physically. We are what we eat from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. If you are in a church that does not confront you with your sins and preach to your conscience, if you're in a church where a man put it to me recently with his wife, he said that for years they sat in church thinking, are we crazy? Because the preaching was so what? Milk toast or yeah, it was just so weak. weak and nothing helpful. Yeah, and so that's another thing. I think that a lot of people need to say no to jobs that are get them, getting them to move to a place. I regularly have friends that are offered positions in Washington. I always tell them, no, don't go near Washington. Why? Well, because in D.C., I have heard again and again, and you said it here again. You know, of people that just can't find a good church in D.C. And mm -hmm. I know there are going to be people there saying, oh, McLean Bible and all this other stuff. But honestly, Washington is not a place I would want anybody to move to raise their family. And yet there's so much money and so many jobs in Washington. And so mm -hmm. you need to think as a father – or if you're a mother, you need to think about your husband and where he accepts a job because you should accept a job where there is a church that will help you raise your children. And so you should say no to a job where it's not going to help you be a good father, a good mother, and to raise your children. Or another way of saying it is you should recognize your weakness enough to not denigrate the importance of the church in the life of you as a father as you raise your children. And when I think about the helps that this church, the elders, the older women have been to me and to Mary Lee as we've raised our children, is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking a lot about ourselves, of course, and we're pastors sitting around this table, so we've had to talk about what we have had to say no to. Mm -hmm. But the theme that we've talked about is we've said no to the things we've said no to because we have a sense that our soul was at stake. Mm -hmm. And if you're a Christian you're going to be thinking about your soul. And if you're a Christian dad or mom, you're going to be thinking about the souls of your children, not just whether they get a good education or get into the right college or whatever, good job. Don Blesch was a theologian that taught at Dubuque Seminary. And one time, <clears throat> those of us who were involved in renewal groups and mainline denominations got together. And we felt the need to make a declaration about a number of things. And Don was sitting there. Don was maybe one of the few men I've known who was just plain old erudite. Mm. I mean, that man was really something. Part of it was he had a wife who had a PhD in French. And <laughs> they never had children. And so their whole life, books everywhere in their home. Wow. But anyhow, Don said, listen. He said, if we're going to state things positively, he said, each one has to have a negative statement after it. And the power is in that negative statement. Hmm. And in his book on, uh, I think it's called Crumbling Foundations on Reform in the Church, he says that uh, we must say God's no as well as his yes. And if you go to Luther, in his instructions to par parish visitors, he says, 
that when you go out to examine men who are in the ministry in local places, he says, make sure that they're preaching the, the law of God, because it's the habit of men to preach forgiveness without repentance. Well, that's the same issue. All of us want to say God's yes, and to declare that our life has been from glory to glory, mm. and to hop, skip, and jump over those very hard places where we have been told no and where we have said no. And when I look back on my relationship with my youngest son, the defining moments were two times where I had to say an absolute spine-shattering no to him as a teenager, mm -hmm. okay? And again, I was just reading in the beginning of Matthew, and as Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, he sees two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people, men. <laughs> Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And you don't think about how all those disciples said no. Mm. They left their families. They left their jobs. They left their fathers. Mm -hmm. They left their business. Maybe a better title for this would be the pearl of great price than when you should say no. But honestly, the pearl of great price, the kingdom of God, is, is infinitely more valuable than whatever blandishments this world has for us. Mm. And I'm speaking at 68 to those who are younger, saying to you, you have no idea the blessings that God will pour out on you if you take up your cross, if you say no to things. The things that he ends up blessing you with, you could never conceive mm -hmm. of how wonderful they will be in this life. Yeah, that's true. And so he says a hundred times more, no man gives up houses, lands, farms, you know, all this stuff. He would give a hundred times in this life and the next, the next. I think the three of us would testify Amen. that yeah. we would never go back on the nose that we've said, mm -hmm. regardless of whether. And, and I think each of us would have the faith to tell a man, I'm, I'm thinking of men in the church, of course. You know, yeah, brother, I see that that's a painful decision you've made. You're, you're making less money. It's painful, but it's going to be better. And you have to trust God for it. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now.